foot enthusiasts, minimal footwear lovers, or anyone trying to fix your own feet, I'm heading to North Carolina this May to lead a live, in-person, three-day retreat all about feet. I'm going to be at the Art of Living Retreat Center, which is up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's so beautiful there. And are you ready to hear what I'm calling it? The retreat is called Healing Your Soul, a stepwise approach to building forever functional feet. That's so good, right? If you want to learn all about how to take care of the muscles, bones, joints, fascia, and nerves of the feet, and learn how strong feet and ankles relate to sustainable hips and knees, this event is for you. In addition to the classroom and movement time with me, you're on retreat. So there's delicious meals, a nature-rich campus that you can explore on foot, and plenty of time for rest and relaxation, all included. A retreat is a perfect way to care for yourself in the moment, but also in the future. You are coming to learn a massive toolkit of information. So whether you're a competitive runner, a dynamic ager, or a healthcare practitioner, this is a weekend full of movement for you and your feet. And like I said, you're gonna leave with a toolkit and a big swag bag that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. This is the Move Your DNA podcast, a show where movement science meets your everyday life. I am Katie Bowman, biomechanist, author, and parent. All bodies are welcome here. Let's get moving. Thanks for joining me, y'all. Today, we are talking walking, specifically walking with kids. So last month, I was invited to speak at the very gorgeous, very tree-rich Orcas Island up here in Washington State. One of those talks was at the Funhouse Commons, and this is an organization and a space dedicated to the island's youth. They have very rich programming in art, science, and homework support, nature education, physical fitness for very young children to teens and their families. It's a gorgeous place, and it's a gorgeous mission, and I was very happy to be able to speak there. So what did I speak about? I gave a talk on 10 ways to get kids walking more from toddlers to tweens. So you likely already know that walking is a major movement food group for human bodies. And if you didn't know that, you haven't been paying much attention. Test, test. Is this thing even on? So even more urgently, kids developing bodies need the specific loads that come from traveling on foot And establishing this habit early on in their life can make staying active easier throughout their lifetime. And walking is also a family-friendly way for everyone to increase their daily movement, time spent in nature, and amount of play and exploration. And with early and regular exposure, children can walk farther than you think, but there are tricks of the trade. So in this episode, I'm sharing a portion of the talk I recorded it so that more of you could benefit from straightforward and joyful tips to get kids on the move. So many of these tips were mentioned in my latest book, Grow Wild, The Whole Child, Whole Family, Nature-Rich Guide to Moving More, but I've expanded on each tip or trick in the hopes that you can turn these tips into the movement you've been looking for. 
So I hope you enjoy this live recording of this outdoor playground talk where there are trucks driving by and birds chirping. And I think a toddler actually walks off with my microphone at one point. But these are just the sounds of life, aren't they? Here we go. Well, thanks everyone for coming. And um, um, I have my notes here because I wanted to I wanted to make something easy because I can go on and on um, and I tend to a lot. So I wanted to keep myself to just 10, 10 things um, that make walking a little bit easier, considerations for walking. And I, I oriented this toddlers to preteens. Um, obviously, there's going to be some physiological differences, but um, I kept teens out because I just feel like teens are their own separate entity, and um, it just makes me think of my most... Um, the, the fact I love about teens the most, which is teens really tend to move best in groups of three, five, and seven because they can't even... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought so. <laughs> yeah, it took. It always that one takes a little. Just a little bit, um, especially because I not. I don't present it like a joke. Like it's like right. a biomechanical tidbit. Exactly. You're like, well, how are the mechanics of that? Like, how does that work? Oh, I was so amazed. I know. To think, what is it about three, five, and seven? I know, I know, I know. That's why you shouldn't believe everything you hear. <laughs> Um, so my first tip for being able to walk more in general, and this would go for teens, but also preteens to toddlers, is as the as the aloe parents, and so I use the term aloe parents in Grow Wild. This is a book I wrote called Grow Wild. Aloe parents are really anyone who is creating a space for children. So it is parents, it's grandparents, it's teachers, it's programs like the Fun House where where you are considering the space that children occupied, but then of course that's every other space too, because we're sort of rare culture where children don't have equal welcoming in all spaces. There are spaces for children and spaces not for children. And again, that's something that you don't really see cross-culturally as much. Like we're really, that's kind of unique to our culture. Um, is that whoever's in charge of the walk or leading the walk is that you need to get over the whining part. <laughs> like that, like just, just to know. And so I, like whining is sort of like an inevitable thing that's going to happen. And I think that many people feel like, mom, my child is whining about the walk. So therefore we shouldn't do it. But it's sort of like, you know, like I always say we have this paradox with our human body is the human body has a tremendous need for movement. And it also has the genetic tendency to avoid movement at all costs to conserve energy and so that's the paradox that we're dealing with it's only in this modern environment where movement has become so optional we're constantly creating a movement free environment that you have to muster the choice the willpower to move where before the environment really required movement so it makes sense that you come with a no you can rest right now you don't have to move as much because movement was so the demand for movement was so ubiquitous in every minute of um, human life right up into relatively speaking you know a few minutes ago so get over the walk the whining and and I have two children I have now a nine-year-old and almost 11 year old and we just know that whining is part of the transition. I mean, I, we always say that kids don't like transitions, and I would argue that grown-ups really don't like transitions either. Um, we all struggle with transitions. It's just that we tend to be, uh, grown-ups tend to be in control of the transitions that they're making. So if you stack 
the transition with the lack of autonomy and someone is now telling you it's time to transition, you get whining. Um, and, and so, and my husband used to always say too, it's like, our kids really whine sort of always, even when they're doing exactly what they want to be doing, they're still whining. So if you're going to be whining, we might as well be doing what, what I wanted to be doing. And, and we, all, we might as well be doing the thing that we need to do. And that goes for the children and, and for the grown-up as well. And so let's just talk about the need for walking for a second. I'm not going to get too much into movement as nutrition, but movement operates as dietary nutrition does as well. So if you were to think about the, the dietary food pyramid, it's organized by the types of foods or the food groups that you need the most of and then there are the, the at the top of the pyramid are things that you require they're essentials but you need much less volume of them than what's at the base and so as far as movement goes for humans walking is going to be one of the base food groups for movement where cartwheeling might be at the top you know right so you just have to think we don't really think about there's a like we know that there's a physiological benefit to simply moving or staying active as a biomechanist I really get it down to the nuts and bolts which are the cells and the tissues and we have a range of nutrients that our body needs so um, I wrote just a little bit about walking um, I'm just gonna read it here because I already wrote it so I might as well just do that um, <laughs> and it's been edited so you know it's gonna be even better than what I would come up with on the fly. So this is just a little bit on walking and I weave walking into lots of other aspects of life, but this is just a short little blip on walking. Walking is one of the most mechanical nutrient dense movements available. So just think about it for a second. Like you're, you are, you're standing on your legs, your arms are swinging, you know, you're, you're loading a lot of your body parts at once. A lot of body parts are doing different things. Walking uses many body parts. It uses the pumping action of our legs, which helps circulate blood and lymph through our bodies. The impact of our feet hitting the ground assists our bones and our brain. Until very recently, humans as a group have always walked a lot and walking is part of why humans came to be shaped the way we are. Walking is also one of the simplest ways to get a lot of movement. It's free and you don't need any equipment. And the most practical, if you're looking to move more while also getting non-movement tasks done each day, your movement has to be able to travel. While families will adapt this advice, and there's, there's a lot of advice on walking and how to walk and where to walk um, in this book, which I'll also give you today. Um, I su while families will adapt this advice to their unique situations and abilities, I suggest you and your family walk and or roll a wheelchair if that's what you need more. I suggest walking to the store and walking school buses and walking play dates and walking birthday parties and do not roll your eyes until you've tried it. It's amazing um, for all of those who are able. I and all the experts and researchers of movement have been saying folks need to walk more, but humans still aren't doing so. We keep walking less. That's why I'm going to stop saying walk more and instead show you how stacking this particular movement back into most other parts of your life is likely the key to you getting more of the experiences you've been looking for. So I did one, get over the whining. Think of it as dynamic whining. It's whining on foot, it doesn't matter. You're gonna pack it up and you're gonna go, and it, and it fades out over time. Once the transition is done and everyone's engaged in the walking, it'll just be like anything else. It's what you're doing now. So just do not let whining be the deterrent. It's inevitable. There's gonna be whining about something else 
in a short period of time anyway, so you might as well, <laughs> might as well be walking. Um, okay, tip two is start them early. So as early as possible. Obviously, when you have toddlers, this is the good time to get started, especially because whining is way less in toddlers. <laughs> toddlers want to be walking. You do not often want to be in the confines of places. They're ready, they're already looking for their next walk. You know, she's, she's like, your eyes are on me, I'm gonna go walk over there. They're like sheep and fences. They're just gonna keep pushing and testing to see where they can get out. So if you cultivate that habit early, it really pays off in the long run. Um, and that kind of falls into number three, which is make, wa make walking a have to. And what I mean by a have to is, I think that if you were to look at all, there's a lot of things that we have kids do that fall into have to. You have to brush your teeth. You have to eat your vegetables. You have to do your chores. You have to do your homework. Whatever your have to's are, whether you call them a have to or not, they're a category of items that you've recognized are not really non-negotiable. Like, yeah, you don't like it. So like you can't get out of brushing your teeth just because you don't like it. And it's really that you are holding the space for this having to be a have to, that eventually the child's like, oh, this is a thing we do. So for us, like we've even used that language, like, oh, you have to, we have to take a walk every day. It's, that's what our legs, and you know, it's the same argument that you meet, that we make for all other, many types of behaviors in our house, you know, and that just goes for, everyone has their own family culture so you can pull out what your family have to's are and just put movement into it because movement movement is as it's it's as an important of a need as dietary nutrition I and mean, then that's what a nutrient is a nutrient is if you don't get it something goes awry in the body that's how you get classified as a nutrient is there is a whole predictable set of symptoms that arise in the absence of a nutrient that's how we have vitamin A and B and C and D. These have been identified as humans in their absence will experience a predictable set of symptoms which can be remedied by introducing the compound back in and movement falls into that category as well. Four, tip four, and it goes for toddlers, but I say it's, it's, it's really helpful when you start getting into older kids a little bit especially when they start to exert their opinions, as I like to call them, is let them choose the walk. So we tend to be like, we're going on a walk and here's where we're going and, and here's the time that we have to do it. But it really helps if you ask like, where would you like to walk? Where would you like to set the route? You know, like what, what kind of route, what different routes do we have? Which ones are your favorite? Which ones do you want to take? Because then you get over the fact that they're doing something that they don't want to do but you've given something the autonomy back, right? And if we have a lot of resistance, because it's not only what we don't want to do, it's a have to, but that we don't have any control over it, you've fixed that problem a little bit. And and also let them lead. You also don't have to pick. It's like, well, let's just go out for, like to, yesterday we used the seven minute thing with our kids. Like they're like, they didn't want to go. We were out at the state park because we were camp, camp firing out there. And we hadn't done a walk yet. We've been driving. and. I was like, we need to take a walk. I'm like, I don't want to take a walk. And I said, well, let's just head out for seven minutes. You pick the direction. And we'll reevaluate how we feel at seven minutes. Because they never want to come back in after seven minutes. <laughs> seven minutes is how long. It's why, like, eight-minute abs tapes, you know, and all the books. So just four exercises, right? You're trying to lowball 
what you have to do because then momentum takes over. It's just the resistance again, it's inertia. We all have to deal with inertia and that's the resistance that we have to changing our state. It's what physicists call transitions, right? You have to deal with your inertia. And after seven minutes, we ended up being out there for 45 and they did not want to turn around. But we needed to, right? Because of other tips that I'll get to here in a second. Um, Five is don't worry about the speed or the distance that you're traveling. I do think that there's, we have, we've tried to make walking about fitness, right? It's like, I got to walk for fitness, but think about, um, for children especially, I think about walking sort of equivalent to play. Play is, and I break it down in Grow Wild, there's um, organized and non-organized activities. Most things used to be unorganized, right? You were just, you get together. If you go to a lot of other countries, there's people, you know, there's not soccer camp at this time, but there's a soccer ball and then there's kids who sort of just come to playing it in a field and then maybe they make up their own game and they set up their own rules and then there's a breakout game of tag and it's, it's just more free-flowing. And, and you can make your walks feel like that by not making it always go forward or fast. I do think that toddlers and, and I, it's even preteens too, they want to go off-road. They want to stop and climb the tree. They want to look at the bugs. And as we, as we struggle, like there's a simultaneous nature deficit issue that has arisen and it's not coincidentally arising among our sedentary issue, right? Because where does movement happen? Where does, where does creative movement happen? It usually happens outside unless you have a very expensive pre-built infrastructure for, that's, that people would have to travel to be able to do. So it's this idea that, that you can um, learn how to go off-road. And I don't necessarily mean like wandering off a trail as much as going rogue in your mind. Like, I'm not gonna keep taking steps only forward. I'm gonna squat, I'm gonna poke at a bug, and I'm gonna look down, and this can happen in very urban landscapes, and it can happen in very rural landscapes. It's this idea that the container that you're holding for what you would call a walk is actually much broader in what can be happening. And and if you, as a parent or an alloparent, are like, but I just wanna move my body, it's like, great, then figure out how you can be moving your body while they are otherwise in place on the walk. So whether that's, I mean, I used to do like all this line, I'm just gonna stand here and stretch or do a yoga pose on the trail while you do yours and now we're moving together and then we go on to the next step. The idea is we're outside together, moving on foot. I'm gonna categorize all of that loosely as walking. Um, tip six is bring friends or organize walking play dates. One of the things that I've learned most about having children and dealing with large groups of children is children are more interested in what their peer groups just above them are doing than what the adults too far, too far age removed are doing. Um, they don't really care about you. You're too far along whatever development cycle is. So they, if you're four, it's like, what are the five-year-olds doing? If you're 11, what are the 12-year-olds doing? Like all my kids learning how to swim or, you know, snowboard or, or jump off something is always because the kid slightly older than them did it and that's all they needed in their mind to know that this was next for them. And so when you take groups of kids, especially multi-age children, you know, within a, a nice range, they lead each other. You no longer have to be the driving force. It just becomes like this natural, I don't know what it is 
fascinating. If I could have a whole other career, it would be studying, um, you know, kids just like Diane Fossey would study the apes and be like, what is the driving force? Like, that's how I feel watching this. I'm like, this is, this is a phenomenon. This is a thing. It's pretty cool. Um, and that would just mean that if, if you want to take a walk every day, that you find another group of parents or, or a preschool or like whatever it is, other people out there doing the same thing, it makes it so much easier and enjoyable. It's just another play date at this point. It's not a walk that has to be endured or a walk that you're waiting for it to be over. And this, this still works with 11 and 12 year olds. It's like, we're gonna go on a walk. Who are we going with? These people, great. That's the, like they just wanna know who. You know, again, that's a, the, the arc of ch child development is like once you get to eight or nine, there's a shift towards peers in general. I mean, even toddlers and young, younger children, while they're still interested in what their peers are doing, they're very parent-centric or, you know, they're primary adult-centric. Once you get to eight or nine, there's a shift where, where you're not as centric anymore. By the time you get to 11, you're really peer, more peer-oriented and it's, you're supposed to be that way. Um, your parents are still lugging you around. Um, so it really helps if you're having a hard time getting your children active is find other children um, who are already active or groups that where you can slowly all merge more active on the other side together. So that definitely helps. Um, what we did yesterday is number seven, walking games. So we've been using walking games as a way to increase the mileage. So um, we always... I'm trying to think. We always walk our birthday miles. So our kids have always been able to walk their years at their age. But what I think the first 10 or 12 mile walk that we did, our kids were probably five and six. Now it's an all day affair. So you might be able to walk 12 miles in three hours. No, it's, it's a 11, like you can figure a one mile an hour pace. And so it'd be like, I mean, for me, it's like, people are like, I did the PCT. I'm like, yeah, well, I did one 10 mile walk with my kids all day and it feels exactly the same. Um, so, so it's just that, you just have to, you, you reframe what a mile it takes. It is how you spend the day. Um, and you need to pack and plan accordingly. I think that we have a belief that kids can't walk very far, but it has a lot to do with their morning. I cannot, I can count. No, I can't count. I probably could count because that's been that many. But we, a, a regular phenomenon for us is to come home from a seven or a 10 mile walk that we've done when we've been, you know, we usually will save them for camping or like a holiday or something, you know, a weekend or something special, birthdays. They're so exhausted from the walk. They're so tired. They just want to stop, you know, and climb this tree. And then, and then you get back to camp and they sprint back after so tired. And like, I really realize that children use fatigue and boredom in the same way. There's clear signs of a fatigued child, eyes closing. And then there's just, I'm bored and I don't want to do this anymore and I can't muster anymore. And those are two separate things. So it takes a while to be able to discern between the two. But I do think that one of the reasons kids like to go off trail is it allows them natural ways of resting some muscles and using other muscles. Like, so if you want to do a long walk, you need to plan some of these. Like, oh, you can just hang out here and play. They don't want to snap or rest or get off their legs. So that would be even like we used to play, and we even use this for short walks. Like it's after dinner and we're gonna go, we haven't done our walk, grab the Frisbee and we do walking Frisbee. We just run ahead. 
and they'll play, they'll go four miles playing frisbee, just like the word walk out of it, because it's play, and kids have a much more tremendous capacity for play. So that um, Hungry Bear, which is, uh, these are nature school games, which is you, you walk, it works really well in the forest here, you're walking, and you say, I'm getting hungry, and then everyone has to disappear behind you, and you turn around, if you can spot anyone, you get to eat them. Um, or camouflage is like, so as the kids get older and like more artistic, they really like to practice hiding or camouflaging. They can't get behind anything, but they have to figure out their colors and it's art for them. Shape, their shape. And their shape and the shadows. And so like it's turned more sophisticated as they've gotten older. I mean, and they were hiding inverted. Like there was one kid almost in the, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to get that microphone. That's right. There's, there's fine. Mommy, come um, and so that was a game that we were playing yesterday that, that turned into 40 minutes and the sun was going down. I wanted to see everyone keep going. This is not for us, okay? You want to take this one? You can have that one. You can take oh, that that's box. That's nice, thank you. Um, so another, another reason that I find walking so important um, is I, I kind of touched on it briefly. In, in the section I read from the book. There's the physiological benefits of walking. Very valuable to the human body. But another section of my work is really that there's a social responsibility in walking. Like walking and the amount that we walk relates to, um, and, and this doesn't go just for walking. This is, about this is about movement in general. Like we are in a sedentary culture and a lot of the issues that we deal with socially have to do with being a sedentary culture. Um, and so, so walking, walking and exercise have become sort of play and for fun extras that we can do. But I also like to just always remind everyone that, that moving our bodies physically for the things that we need is another categorization of movement that is an exercise. Um, it's, it's something that most of the world does. Like a lot of people have to move their bodies for what they need on a regular basis. And that goes within our country as well. Um, but again, like the United States and other countries have made a much more rapid transition towards sedentarism that other countries haven't made or other cultures haven't made and um so so i do like to also teach my kids through modeling not necessarily direct teaching that like walking is transportation moving for what you you know like you you moving physically for what you need is is responsible like it's a responsible thing to do it's not only for your physical benefit that we do it. We do it because we, we do it because it needs to be done. Um, and then, so, so in that, that way, I don't like to make walking all about games and all about play. Sometimes it's like, well, we need to go to the store. And so like, we're not gonna drive to the store. It's really hard, you know, in a time when we're really teaching environmental education um, and social justice and so many things like to not alongside of that really needs to be addressed this sedentary issue and how these relate to the fact that we often just don't want to move for the things that we need and so um walking so one of the one of my tips it is um number eight 
which would be walking for transportation. Just the idea that you walk for transportation. And it can be, it doesn't mean that it can't be fun, it can't be playful, but it is also, it falls under a category of movement that I would call work, not exercise. It's, it's you physically exchanging your body for the thing that you need. Um, so that can be to and from school. Also, it could be partway. Like I really, I think people feel I can't walk because where I want to go is so far away. It's like, great, well then drive part way um, or drive to the point at which you can go. Like, it's like, I don't, I only have 20 minutes before and after work and you know, whatever the timing is, just adjust it to fit. Like driving part way is still fine. You know, if it means that you're also increasing your steps per day. Um, so uh, this one, this is part, also part of A. It's, it's walking for something that you get. So this would be like walking for a, a treat. And it's different than, I don't mean bribery. So I do think, it, I, I, I do have some like people, I know some people who are like, if you just do this hike, I'll give you free suckers. You know, like that's the that's the, the bribery. Or that's like the exchange for the, like, what do I get if I do the walk? I'm like, you get the walk. But, but what I mean is like, if there's a special treat that you want or to go do something, we'd like to go, we want to go get pizza or we want to get ice cream. It's like, great, let's walk. Because... It's not that, I mean, it's hard to separate what a reward is in your mind. I mean, I don't know that a squirrel doesn't see a acorn as a reward. That was, that's what you got for working. I think it's more like if you don't get up and get it, then you don't get to eat. Now, we don't have that sort of pressure now in this culture, but we could use probably a little more of it. So it's a way of faking it. Like we can drive and go get whatever we need, but there's also... There's an extension of the celebration of the thing when you move a little bit more for it. So it's just um, it's just a little bit of variation. It's just learning how to add a walk on to the thing that maybe you're going to do anyway. Like going out to breakfast is a big treat in our family. So we used to walk two miles for it. And then it was like, oh, let's get up early. We're going to go out to breakfast. And then it had the whole walk there. And then the walk on the way back was, everyone was just happy. And it's like, okay, you got four miles of walking. And you could just drive and go out to breakfast. You could just do that too. But I'm always trying to figure out ways to add the walk in. And it turns out to make breakfast better. Like it, it just extends the treat of it, if you will. The breakfast was almost the means to the thing that we all enjoyed much more than the breakfast itself, if that makes sense. Um, all right, nine. Especially now, as as um, we've had the time change, is to really take extra use of your early morning and your later afternoon hours for walking. Um, we do have this idea of sort of like you do, we don't go out in the dark. I mean, so there there is that, and there's I mean, rightly so. There's places for which you might not want to go out in the dark, especially if you're not used to being out there. Um, but I would consider everyone could work on their relationship with moving around in the dark and in the cold, you know, just by through practice and maybe gear, but it usually has to do with just a lack of habit. You know, you're just not used to using the non-light hours, but um, or especially with toddlers, I mean, I, I don't know if everyone else's kids got up at 5 a.m., but I had yes, five, right, yes. they do, right, so, 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 so that's when I went out on a walk. Instead of like getting up and like trying to be in the house and like, it's like up and and I'm still like, I'm up at five and I really want to go take a walk first thing in the morning. And I found that with my kids, especially when they were younger, you know, you get like a flashlight if you needed it. Um, you would get like a big little breakfast snack if you went and we would walk 
in the morning for an hour and like the nature that's coming up that first time and then you have that special quiet time. Um, if you're a working parent, the idea that you could have a whole hour of quality time with your child before going to work and you got exercise and they got exercise. I mean, it's really layered. So I, I would encourage just looking at those times and we're like, how could I use this that period of time? Mugs of warm beverages. That's not a tip, but that should be a tip. That's like, that's a bonus tip right there. Mugs of warm beverages really make, um, it's like a, tr it's not even a treat. It's just like, you know, a warm tea, but the idea of, um, having it out there just as a level of comfort that you would stay. And the same thing goes for afternoon hours, evening hours. So many of us are working, you know, right up until five o'clock or six o'clock. And then it's, you know, we have to have dinner and we have to sit down inside around a table and blah, blah. I don't believe that. Um, so we, so especially when it was, especially when the weather is so dark, we would always use that sundown hour and that first hour after dinner for a walk. You know, especially for you know people who are coming back to a family home who haven't gotten to be with their family or they've been sitting, you know, like the idea of you go for a walk for dinner or before dinner or after dinner. Um, I saw a really good TED talk once that said like the way your brain works is whatever you spend the last hour of the day doing, your brain like feels you did it all day. So I thought, well, this is good because if we can spend the last hour and a half outside on a hike or some cool thing, it just, you feel like you were, I'm just making a hug with my arms right now, like you were just sort of enveloped with everyone doing, you know, with, with nature and your family and that time um, outside afterwards. And like, it doesn't even require a family. If you just come home from work and just like, oh, I wish I didn't have to work all day and I would love to be outside. I'm like, go outside now and go walk around. You know, call some friends, do the same thing with your friends. Everyone bring some hot beverage. <laughs> bring and just bring your dinner and like we'll just eat it and we're gonna go walk around the park as the sun goes down especially for safety in numbers like if you're feeling insecure get a group 10 is use walking as a means to something else this is this is really great for for kids or it's for i mean it, it, this would i guess be a tip specifically for kids i don't usually mention the walking in this case so this would be like an art walk so this is when I have a bag of art supplies, usually pads and watercolors, and you, you hike someplace, and then you sit down, and you can paint there, and then you walk back. It's just an art walk. I mean, you don't have to call it a walk. It's like, we're going to go out. I, wanna, I want you to paint these things. We're going to go to three different things, and you're going to make three different paintings. You're on foot. You're moving around. You used your body to physically do the thing. So um, art walk is a regular one for us. Homework walk is another one for us, which is... There's a lot of homework that can be done not sitting down. So kids have often been sitting down all day. So this is that preteen, uh, middle years. And then they're supposed to come and sit down even more inside to finish it. And so spelling words, times tables, play lines, like these are all things that we do outside. Explain to me what you're doing right now. Let's read that. You know, like there's a lot of things that can be done outside on the move. And um, it just... It, it, you even get better results, I think, doing it on the move versus sitting down because we're, uh, most of us are such a, uh, well, I mean, we're, we're, we're movers by nature. So this idea that you can layer in um, creativity and remembering um, is just a good thing to use. Um, gathering and foraging walks, that could just be harvesting 
you know, fruit when the fall fruit comes and grabbing apples for something that you want to make, you know, make your lunch the next day or make something for dessert or dinner. This idea that you're going out to gather. It can be pieces for a centerpiece. You know, it can be, again, another art. But the idea is that you're going out to collect stuff. It can be to the beach, you're getting rocks, you're getting shells, it doesn't really matter. It's just, it's creating a little bit of pressure so that um, the walk happens secondary. And that's it. Those are my 10 tips. Um, and I just, just have like a little bonus here noted is that we categorize walks in different ways. There's um, loops and kids really have a, they have a very complicated categorization of walks. And I, I had them explain it to me and it's amazing how they see walks. It's like, is this an out and back? Is this a loop? Is this a one way? And I was like, well, what's the difference? And the best thing, uh, one of my daughters say, she said, if it's an out and back, I know I might be able to convince you through whining that we should turn around sooner. But I can't do that on loop, so I don't even try. And I was like, this is genius insider information that you are giving me. Because I noticed that one-way walks were always their best. And the way that we get one-way walks, if you only have like one car, um, or you're, you, know, it, you know, you can drive, if you're driving to a place, is that you can have, if you have two adults, one adult can drive down, can drop you off, drive ahead to wherever your end point is, because we try to do like four miles or five miles. And then that person gets to enjoy a solo fast walk back to meet the group. And then everyone, so whoever, whoever had the tougher day gets to do the dropping off. And then you come back and then everyone gets to make their way. So like we use little tools like that. Um, and then look for the fun walks in your area that might be interesting to a child. You know, like it's usually to see something. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be like, you know, through a candy cane for us like that's not what I mean it just it just it has some sort of element that would captivate like why they would be doing it or going there in the first place and then terrain you want to just be aware of terrain hills like I don't think I would ever start make start a long walk with a big uphill it's just too challenging I mean we realized a few years ago that our kids weren't getting enough hills and then hills Physiologically, they're like, I can't walk up this hill anymore. And like, it was like too much work and they would perceive their heart rate coming up as, I think I have asthma or something, you know, like whatever it was. I'm like, no, that's just effort. Like that's, and so like, okay, we need to add a little bit more hills. And then we did a summer of uh, different hills. So just those things matter. And footwear matters. There's a section on apparel in this book because I think a lot of times children aren't wearing the right clothes for movement. We're a sedentary culture. We don't realize that how they're dressed does not set kids up. And so like boots that come up, oftentimes it pass over the ankle. Imagine wearing like your bogs and then going, asking to go on a 20 mile walk in bogs as an adult where you can sort of like understand why things don't hurt and push yourself through it. Now you're just a child and my foot hurts and I just, I can't walk anymore. I'm just going to sit down and cry. That's how I'm going to communicate. So being aware of, um, you know, pants that move and, you know, like, like, like apparel matters. That's part of what movement is, is that can all of your different parts articulate and get you through. So those are my tips. Okay, peeps. What was your favorite tip? Think about it. Which one are you going to try first? Which one, which one made your soul sing a little bit where you're like, oh, I could do that or I would love to be able to do that. Think about that one. Just just write it down and mull on it for a little while and figure out a way that you can make it happen. And just remember, you can't go wrong when you're going outside 
to go on a walk, right? Even if it's a super short one, like the one I'm going to take right now to stretch out these podcasting muscles. Grow wild, everyone. Kia ora e te Ko Hazel My name is Hazel. I'm a res specialist, restorative exercise specialist from Aotearoa, New Zealand. And this has been Move Your DNA with Katie Bowman, a podcast about movement. Hopefully you find the general information in this podcast informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and should not be used as such. Our theme music was performed by Dan McCormack. This podcast is produced by Brock Armstrong and the transcripts are done by Annette Yen. Find out more about Katie, her books and her movement programs at nutritiousmovement.com. Kapai.